from the Kramer Basketball Headquarters in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. You are listening to the Coach's Edge podcast, powered by CoachesEdge.coach. Here is your host, Steve Kramer. Welcome back to the Coach's Edge podcast. David, DJ, Coach, Fiella, Frontier High School out in California. Coach, thanks for taking the time to be on the Coach's Edge podcast. First off, before we dig into some transition defense, great topic. Why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, I'm from Bakersfield, California. My name is DJ Fiella. I've been coaching for about a decade here um, at Frontier High School. I've been at a couple different high schools, worked my way up from the lower levels. Um, I actually was a student of the game as I got into coaching a couple of years right out of high school and really took that avenue to, you know, just develop my mind and really grow as a coach and as a person. And it's actually what's brought me into my career and education. And so this is what I've been, you know, enjoying in my young career as a coach as well. I love that. A lot of, a lot of our coaches edge members um, in education enjoy teaching the game and uh, being a coach is another way of being a teacher. Just you're coaching the best uh, sport in the world, teaching the best sport in the world with the game of basketball. We've been on here already for like about 40 minutes talking about this subject. And we're just going to throw a quick couple pieces of advice for our coaches listening that are interested in improving their transition defense, because aren't we all as basketball coaches, you never want to give up anything easy. So coaches, we were chatting and obviously you have, um, some great nuggets that you came into our little meeting with. What are some things that come to your mind when you think transition defense? And what are some things that you're going to try to emphasize with your guys this upcoming year? So the big thing for us this year and what we've been trying to teach throughout the past couple of years is obviously winning the first three steps. We think that the first three steps is important. Every time that the shot goes up, we've been focusing on, hey, is our kids winning the battle, depending on the angles of the rebound as well. Um, you know, we could talk from the weak side corner, that guy who is the farthest away. Is he going to try to make himself back in the play by winning that first three steps or is he going to watch and then just play like he's at the park in comparison? Um, another thing that, you know, we're going to look into is talking about roles with kids. What kind of roles, you know, depending on a kid who is super athletic, maybe he's one of our wings. That's, you know, six, two, six, three. And we go, hey, you know what? You should be crashing the offensive glass first and then looking to sprint home afterwards. And then compared to maybe our 5'10", 5'11", point guard, who really should be saying, hey, you know what, this isn't my place. I'm going to go ahead, get home first and go from there. And what we preach after those first three steps is to play into the paint and then scramble out after that. And so, you know, hey, we communicate first, who's got ball, that's the most important thing. And then after that, we go, hey, the rest of the guys get home and then find our way out from there and get into our style of defense. You mentioned you guys play some pack line that goes, you know, hand in hand with with that. And you know, what I'm always telling kids as we go to our camps, stop ball, protect the paint, and then match up. And unless you're a college team, you know, where you're really running the three-point line, getting bombs away, very few high school teams are gonna beat you just quick up, boom, one pass and, and bombing a three. Protecting the paint is, you know, where your money's at as far as risk and reward. So uh, I love that you mentioned that, but for our coaches listening, I don't know if you caught what coach mentioned a little bit. He was talking about locations on the court, helping determine who crashes the glass and who gets back 
And then he was also talking about roles, personnel, who are certain kids on your team that can get the green light to go and crash, who are the kids that have a red light and they need to get back on defense. And then who are some of those kids that may, or maybe more of a yellow, right? And they have some decision-making, some IQ that you have some of that conversation with them and say, hey, in these situations, you know, look to go, right? But, but use your best judgment because you're not a high flyer, you're not super tall, and there's going to be times where you need to cut your losses and get back on defense, which is really important as well. Tell us how what you just broke down benefits not just your style of play coach, but also the the personnel, you know, the athletes that you have. Well, for us in our league, in our area, we don't, we are not granted with the best athletes and we're, you know, we coach who we get and we go from there. And so for us, it teaches our kids how to have that competitive advantage, which they want to have, but in a strategic way. And so by saying, hey, we might crash only two per game, two kids per game that always have the green light for us, just because there are better athletes, maybe they're our center, you know, who is decent size, or maybe it's one of our more athletic wings. And then we say, hey, let's get back so that we can prevent teams from just pushing the basketball like crazy and getting the easiest opportunities. For us in our league, we have to do a better job of slowing the game down or finding a way to limit these teams to one possession as much as possible. And this is another way that we're looking at trying to attack that. Now you've already had some success with it, even though this was our, you know, what we met about in our meeting tonight, you talked about, you know, playing a specific team, you got a lot out in transition the first time we're playing later in the season. And, you know, you, you did a lot better the second time around against certain teams. Is there a specific call as far as communication? Um, are there certain drills that you, you know, encourage other coaches to use so that they can help their transition defense? What happened along that span for you to already improve in that area? So one focus is, is um, when we were scrimmaging, we would put different rules in place to try to enforce kids to react and how we would react. So when we were simulating that team, it was a very good rebounding team as well. We would always, you know, certain scrimmages, we'd have guaranteed four guys crashing the glass. So it put more of an emphasis on us trying to get one possession um, another thing that we did was there is a transition drill that we called Navy and where we use that drill to really emphasize, Hey, you know, the ball could be randomly put in at any point. How are we going to get back? How are we going to play out from the paint? And, you know, the best part about that drill is you get to go both ways with it. So if you get a stop, you take it and go the other way. And then team that was just on offense has to sprint back on defense. So all 10 kids are working on that particular emphasis. Mm. And so um, just a couple of drills that we did, like that. And then in scrimmages, we made an emphasis in our controlled scrimmages hmm. and our strategy as we prepared. Well, I love that. You know, it, it could be as simple as you don't take the ball out of bounds, right? You know, you're, you're on offense, you knock down a three, the other team usually takes it in. You come back. It's like, no, you, you know, you tell the team there, there is no out of bounds shot goes in, you're gone, right? Ball goes out of bounds and you're, and we're switching say you're just going, right? Don't, don't wait for a whistle. Don't wait for the coach. Just go to continue to build the mentality of got to get back, got to get back, need a matchup, need to protect the paint, need to get out and to our matchups. However, that might be in your case, playing some, playing some pack line. With all this said, coach, I mean, you had a lot of success as a, as a team. 
last year. And can you talk at a, on a bigger scale of when you look at your team and you evaluate your strengths and your weaknesses, how do you go about the progression of these are weaknesses and we need to spend more time on those weaknesses, in this case, transition D, compared to these are our strengths. And so we want to play to our strengths and continue to work on those. Yep. So it's a really good question. We spend a lot of time um, on film as coaching staff. And so we actually will utilize from previous games and look at, hey, you know, based on the strategy, how what went well in this game that we wanted to focus on and what didn't. And we'll take that and say, hey, you know what? Hey, rebounding just wasn't our thing tonight. We had a lot of guys watching like they're at the movie theater. You know, we'd say, hey, you know what? We can focus on putting in more rebounding drills tonight, tomorrow's practice and really get back to the bare bones of what rebounding is and bring in competition drills as well. Um, another thing is when we're evaluating at the beginning of the season, one thing we look at is, you know, different player strengths, different player weaknesses. And we have some of our, you know, staple drills of our program that we utilize to teach. But then as we progress, we'll look at it and say, hey, before games, what's going on? What are we noticing that kids are struggling at in our practices? And so we try not to spend more than, I would say, roughly 15 to 20 minutes with different drills on a certain emphasis of practice, um, because we like to hit each part of our practice, you know, has a purpose. Um, as we create practice plans, that could be as simple as, hey, you know what, Monday, Wednesdays, we're doing more ball handling at the beginning of practice. So we're gonna do some ball handling at the beginning of practice. While Tuesday, Thursday, we're gonna do some more team oriented passing drills that will get us going and get us moving. And so that's where we kind of break it up. And same thing with the weaknesses. We'll do that in 15 minute segments. And that's what we look at. No, I think that's that's really smart. And sometimes it it does come down to, hey, what went well, what didn't go well, and we go from there. And then what's it going to take for that next team that we play based on some of their things that they do well, that they don't do so well? How can we protect those things and how can we attack those other areas of, of weaknesses? It really does get down to those specific things. And again, on topic today is transition defense. Do you have, we didn't, I didn't ask you this before. Do you have a specific person that always stops ball or is that based on the matchup that somebody has man to man? We usually do, um, but it does depend on matchups as well. Like um, the base philosophy has always been, you know, our one, our point guard is usually the guy that will stop the basketball and we preach for him to stop it no later than half court. Mm -hmm. And depending on the team that is really an up-tempo team, we might stretch that to even the three-point arc, their three-point arc, and make sure that our other guys get home. Um, other than that, when it becomes to matchups, then we might switch that up. And so, for example, this year, it's going to be challenging because our point guard is probably our best defender. And so he might be guarding the best player on the other team more often than he's stopping the basketball transition. Mm -hmm. So we might have to figure out something else, but that's been kind of the staple for the last couple of years. Um, I think we're gonna have to change it up this year though mm -hmm. and go from there. You mentioned something that's really important, and that's not just stopping the ball. But what's the level that we want to stop the ball as a program, right? Because you may have everything down and your kid's still not doing it. It's simply because you didn't communicate. Yeah, you stop ball, but you're four feet above the top of the key. 
you need to stop ball at half court, right? Or as you said, maybe even beyond that, depending on the talent and the skills and strengths and weaknesses of the opponent that you're playing at. That's communication, right? That's on us as a coach to communicate, hey, we're not just stopping ball, right? We're not just protecting the paint and getting matched up. What's the level that we're trying to do that? Is it half court? Is it a step above half court? Um, when the ball comes up, are we trying to push it to a certain side? So even if you're in a pack line, when you're picking up, like, are we going to try to shift that ball handler a little more to the left side of the court, left side of the midline compared to the right, whatever those things might be, need to be communicated in order for them to be executed. We can't assume that our kids know all the things that we know as coaches because they don't, they don't right? And there's also certain things they're going to see. We need to communicate and ask questions to them because we can always learn from one another. Coach, what's the biggest thing that stands out to you when it comes to transition defense? If there was like one thing, you're like, this is the most important thing, and then we go from there. I would definitely say it starts with the first three steps. That's probably always the most important thing that I look at because that determines, you know, how do we start the breakout, how they're starting the break, how are we going to stop it? That then goes into communication. You know, I think that those two go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. A kid can communicate, he's stopping ball, but if there's two kids that are, you know, not winning the first three steps or not trying to win the first three steps, it's not going to matter. You're giving up a, a straight line to the basket, right? Well, you can have four guys winning the first three steps, but then nobody stopped the basketball, and it's just as bad. Mm -hmm. So I think those two are the most important. Um, we really have been preaching that, too, um, about, hey, you, you say you got the basketball, but, like, you, you brought this up just a few minutes ago. The guy is stopping him six feet back. And he's not really stopping the pressure that this guard is putting on the rim because now the guard can survey the floor, see what he wants to do. And he's going with a full head of steam at right. the exact same time. And so I think those two are hand in hand on what needs to be taught and what need that is the most important to stopping transition, you know, offense. And if we think defense in general, what's the first part of defense? It's the transition from one end to the other. You're trying to win those first three steps, as we talked about. You're measuring that. You're looking at the game film. You're watching in practice. You have your assistants with eyes on what are those first three steps. We need to win the first three steps as the defensive team getting back in transition. And, I mean, that's a lesson for us on the offensive side as well. Can you win the first three steps if you're really trying to get out, especially if you're more of a fast-paced offensive team? Now, after that, we talked about, obviously, the communication, the ability to win the first three steps, stopping ball. We've touched on that. And we, you got to protect the paint, right? especially with your defensive philosophy. Do you have any specific breakdowns as far as, you know, who's the first person back or is it a personnel based as far as who gets back first and then you get into the matchup? Are there any roles there? We've done where, you know, our point guard is last year speaking. Obviously, this year we're going to have to change it. But um, our point guard is usually the first one in the low hole under the basket, right? And then the next guy that is there who's won that first three steps, that could be our two. And he's at the top. And it's almost like that three-two, you know, drill that everybody loves to do, right? That kind of formation, those two on defense. And then from that point, we still preach that the other guys, depending on where the location of the basketball, right? He's going to pop out, get first pass. The guys that are sprinting home need to be sprinting the paint. So that way they're already in the help side defense anyways. And so it goes back into – that kind of mindset into our philosophy of the pack line defense play from the inward out um, and go from there. 
So you're making sure we got one stop in the ball. We got one front rim in the hole. You got one coming back in the paint. And then you we got our two other ones that are, you know, hopefully everybody gets back early, like best case scenario, right? We've stopped the ball. Hey, we're all back. Absolutely. We're waiting for you. Bring it all down. That's best case scenario. That's rarely ever happens. Right. And so how do, based on the ball being um, dribble past half court, you got your first player picking them up, stopping the ball and say the basketball gets passed ahead to, you know, one of the wings or one of the corners, you know, how are you teaching your guys to, okay, we've protected the paint. Now we got to get out, get into our closeout while everybody else is still transitioning down to protect and then match up. Right. We've been doing more reps into that. And we've been talking about the low hole guy, guy under the basket. We call it low hole. That's our terminology for it. And then we have our high hole or the nail that's commonly known for that. And so uh, with our low hole guy, we tell him, Hey, anything below the free throw line pass advance, that's you. And then after that, we have our high hole guy. He's going to drop to the low hole. And hopefully as the other guys are sprinting, they're communicating, they're scrambling and they're taking away at least first pass. But the biggest thing is always the basket is what we're trying to prevent as it's advanced. Boom. Like you just said it, that's, uh, that's what I was hoping the visualization of the breakdown that, that you just shared with us, that's perfect for our listeners to check out, right? Stopping the ball, low hole, high hole, right? Like the terminology, ball gets passed down in one of those spots. We're getting out into our matchup. We're dropping at the same time. Everybody else is coming in to protect paint. And then we're getting out to our matchups from there. Hopefully communication is, is really high and we're able to get to the matchups that we actually want instead of, you know, randomly guarding whoever may be there, although that is going to, to happen at times. Have you had trouble with getting into specific matchups? You know, say there's, you know, your, your five was the first person back uh, ball gets pushed up ahead. It's the two guard in the corner and then they got to get out. And if so, how have you had to deal with that? So what we've done is we've taught our five certain types of closeouts. We refer to closeouts by player name and try to help the kids learn how to close out on certain players. And one thing that we've done is use, you know, players in the league, obviously, you know, from, you know, back in the day, right. Kobe Rondo, that kind of thing. Hey, we want a Rondo close out. That's kind of outdated now, but we want a Rondo close out for our big, if it's a two, that's not a shooter. So that way he's not going to get beat ultimately still trying to protect the rim at the best of his ability. And as we're scrambling in that, when the ball rotates weak side, because of our philosophy on defense, we're able to switch back usually. Um, usually whoever gets matched up on the big, we automatically will front if it's not our five or whoever we've designated to guard that big for that game. Um, and that's what we've done is to use terminology to try to help the kids recognize, Hey, you know, I need to do this. You know, I'm the, I'm the four back, you know, I was just out of position. I wasn't able to crash. You know, I made a better decision instead of crashing. I sprinted home. I'm guarding in the low hole and they skipped it ahead. And now it's their. So yeah, the big thing is that we would try to focus on the closeout with our five first. Um, if he's or the four, whoever our bigger player was, that got back home. And we would determine to help him, hey, what type of player are you closing out? Know your personnel. And that would be the big thing when we have those mismatches, you know, and advantages for the offense is, you know, you got an athletic wing. We don't need you to close out like he's Steph Curry. We need you to close out more like he's a Rajon Rondo kind of player and make him, he's going to put it on the floor. He's going to try to create pressure, but your job is to keep him in front of you to the best of your ability before the rest of the defense can get home, 
where it's supposed to, right? Playing in to out, scrambling. And as the ball maybe relocates to reset up top, you know, whoever's on the weak side, they can communicate at that point because of our defensive philosophy. Hey, let's switch back. That guard would be primarily fronting the post at all times until that happens. Um, unless obviously we had no weak side help, then we would have to do kind of a three-quarter front. But that's how we try to teach our kids as they're getting home how to react, what type of closeouts do we want. Very few kids do we say, hey, he is a Steph Curry type. He can put it on the floor, but he can really, really shoot it, and especially at the high school level. So we preach, you know, really good chops, you know, depending on the players, how far we want to sprint to their chops, or maybe we chop early, knowing that he's going to put it on the floor. He's not a threat to shoot it. But that's what we try to teach our kids, and we practice that daily with our closeouts as well. And Steph Curry is like an unfair you know, comparison to anybody, right? I mean, the, the dude, yeah, he's the best shooter ever. He's still got handles. He's getting to the rim now and finishing. It's like, we, we just got to pick like a, somebody who's a little more stiff and be like, okay, but well, this kid can shoot the lights out, but he can't dribble three times, you know, without dribbling off, off of his foot. Um, is, as we finish out the podcast in California right now, right? And you're, are you you're pretty close to LA? We're about two hours North, two hours okay. North of LA. Yeah. Who's like, who's, you know, statewide California is bigger than a lot of countries. Who's like everybody's favorite player in the state of California right now. Well, we, we hear about Steph Curry all the time yeah. and you know, that's, that's a guarantee. Um, another thing, there's few kids that love, you know, different players out East, but you normally hear of Steph, LeBron, you know, the LA golden state, even a little bit of the Clippers. Um, when you start, and those are usually the little kids, you know, in youth, but you still see it a lot in the high school. Mm -hmm. um, as for the kids that are in high school, that's when you start seeing them kind of, you know, brought out a little bit more. And they like some of, you know, the younger players like Luca and Giannis. And so that's pretty much it that we hear a lot about the California guys. And of course, because you know, those players have kids in California. It's always whenever, you know, the opportunity to possibly play those kids, you start hearing, you know, the star names get sung in a way. That's a good point. Uh, so nobody's talking about the Sacramento Kings. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was just, I was just checking, you know, there's, it was, I think one in-state uh, team you didn't, you didn't mention, uh, but rightfully so that makes, that makes perfect sense. And Kawhi Leonard's back um, healthy as well. So that'd be interesting. We've gotten sidetracked, but I couldn't, I couldn't resist. Because, um, you know, hey, we've got somebody out from lives in California. Coach, speaking of that, you joined the Coach's Edge by listening to the podcast, right? You, you've been listening for I don't know how long. You know, I remember we chatted maybe, you know, a little over a year ago. You listened to the podcast. You know, what what brought you to coachesedge.coach? And, you know, is, is there anything that you'd you know recommend or say to anybody who's listening and maybe they want to join? Yeah. So for me, you know, I've always been a student of the game. Um, basketball has been a love and passion of mine. So when I found this podcast, I started listening to it, you know, every couple of days kind of thing, glancing at different topics. I was like, you know, I kind of want to see what this is more about. And so after joining the coach's edge, I know I haven't been able to be involved as much as I've wanted to, but having the resources and still having this dialogue from here and there with yourself and other coaches has been phenomenal. Um, it's what, in my opinion, separates this program compared to others is having that community like feel, um, anybody can go out and buy a championship production, you know, after it's done, 
when can you go and pick other minds of other coaches? And that's something that has helped even now when I haven't been as involved, I still get to listen to the guests that come on on the podcast, you know, a couple times a week. And that's been helpful in more ways than not. Well, it's great to hear. It's tough. It's tough when you're on West Coast time, right, um, out there, and, and um, majority of our you know contributors and everything are on the East Coast. But uh, that's you know one thing that we try to strive for is, yeah, we want to help you with the resources. You were talking about some of the videos on the site that you like to use, uh, small side of games, finishing. Um, but at the same time, if there's a way that we can help a member out, whether it's a text message, a phone call. As I said, you know, send me some game film this year. I'm excited to see, you know, you guys play in the transition defense and how it's how it's looking uh, or to hop on a Zoom call and, and chat is uh, pretty beneficial and something that we try to do with our members as well. So, uh, Coach, is there any way that if uh, someone wants to reach out to you um, that, that they could, you know, if they had questions about transition defense? Because I thought you brought, you know, some heat as far as the attention to detail you have with how your team gets back in transition. That was really good. Yeah, um, they can find me on Twitter as well. Um, it'd be at DJ underscore Fiella, and I have no problem answering any questions. Um, and as well, Coach, you know, you can always give my number out to any other coaches that have any other questions at any time too. And, you know, I would love to have some conversations with other coaches about whether it be transition defense, even defense philosophies, offense. It's always great picking other coaches' brains and getting more resources to only help improve myself and them too. Mm -hmm. Learning, sharing, teaching the game. Uh, that's what we're all about. And we hope to our listeners, thank you for listening, that you found some benefit from transition defense and listening to this podcast with Coach Fiel as well. So coach, thank you for taking the time to be on the Coach's Edge podcast. This was awesome. And chatting beforehand as well to our listeners. Thank you for listening. And as always, get after today.